This episode of No Account for Taste is brought to you in association with AccountWeb Live Expo. Join us for the in-person two-day event on the 30th November and the 1st of December. You'll hear from HMRC and some of the biggest names in tax as they cut through the latest budget noise and break down what the latest tax updates mean for you. You'll also be able to get to grips with the latest technology shaking up the accountancy profession and discover how to grow your practice in 2023 with advice from Alistair Barlow, Carl Reader, Lucy Cohen, and many, many more. Go to accountwebliveexpo.co.uk to register, and we'll see you in Coventry. Shall we begin? Let's begin As we record today's session, the Bank of England has yet again hiked interest rates to 3% as the economic turmoil shows no real signs of slowing down. The Bank of England said that the UK economy faces a very challenging outlook and the governor has gone one step further saying that the UK is facing its longest recession since records began. This sobering reality that UK businesses um, have in front of them comes as the Chancellor is set to deliver an autumn statement with harsh spending cuts and tax rises promised. So with businesses bracing themselves for a tough winter and the prospect of a recession, are accountants turning to cash apps to guide businesses through the winter of discontent? Well, not exactly. With belts tightening across businesses, it seems as if accountants have turned to the old favourite Excel. Just like during the COVID pandemic, cash flow is front and centre, and it's the spreadsheet that's leading the race. So today on the show, we'll be asking, what are accountants doing to support their clients? Are accountants using tech to its full potential to support businesses? And just how much worse is the economic turmoil going to get? Welcome to No Account for Taste. I'm Richard Hattersley, and I'm delighted to be joined again by our technology editor, Tom Herbert. Hi, Richard. Hi, everyone. What an intro. <laughs> and beaming in from his HQ is Editor-at-Large, John Stockdyke. Howdy, Richard. Howdy, Tom, and everybody listening. It's, it's I always enjoy uh, these excursions through the tributaries of the week's news stories. Well, later in the show, following the news this week that Uber settled its long-standing VAT bill with HMRC, we'll be hearing from AccountWeb contributor and VAT director at Rainer Essex, Jason Croak, who will be joining us to discuss the long history of Uber's VAT tussle with HMRC and the implications of the resolution. And with the autumn statement fast approaching on the 17th of November, we'll also take a look at some of the rumours and whispers circulating around the big fiscal event. But first, let's talk about that big story discussed at the top of the show. The Bank of England increased interest rates yet again, which I guess, really hammers home the uncertain economic outlook for accountants and their clients. So what are they doing to support their clients? Like, John, this kind of reminds me of that period we were in back in 2020, where it seemed like all accountants were flocking towards cash flow forecasting to help their small business clients. And it does feel like we're in that same situation where the Bank of England today announced such gloomy outlook with a big uh, recession on the books as well. 
Yeah, I mean, I think what my discussions with various sort of some of the the sort of real sort of app pioneers, I think the point I would that of difference I would make is that 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 2020 experience was perhaps a bit of a flash in the pan because I think I think uh, the the focus was less on really getting a detailed picture, cash picture, uh, you know, a year out or, or year to three years out. I think it was putting something together that to slap in with your Sybil's um, app, loan application. So so we did get very excited and we thought this was really catching on in 2020. Uh, but the specialist, the specialist tools, fluidly and float. We both saw, you know, they they had really made the running in in that particular market niche. But I think, as you as you hinted in your in the intro, uh, that does seem to have waned. I think I think when people really do start needing to work out the repayment implications, they businesses have commercial mortgages, and if they're on variable rates, uh, they do need to do some serious modelling. And it, it from all of the people I've checked in with, uh, they're putting the numbers into Excel to, to do that sort of thing. So I think there is a, a lot of concern, a lot of focus on just working out where companies stand and where, where you know, uh, having to work out different scenarios. If things did get worse, how exposed would the company be? You know, where can they do the cuts, the cost cutting and and uh, profitability analyses are, are definitely on the card. So, so there's a lot of analytical work going on amongst the sort of advisory style accountants. But as I say, as if you're uh, the one market that doesn't, the, the, you know, you think what you thought might expand in this setting would be the specialist forecasting and analysis apps. But it, it, it as I say, our, our app pioneers are telling us this isn't, they're 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 looking to trim back their tax tax, and you know that's that's one area with the way the subscriptions work that you can economise quite quickly. That's, that's really interesting. What's the the reason behind this? Is is it the case that accountants are also bracing themselves for recession and kind of looking at the P and L and seeing what they use and where they can save? Very much so. That was Alistair, but you know that every single accountant I talked to say, you know, if you really want to sort of get a handle on on cash, you get your hands on the P and L. You, know, you go down it and you look at each expense line and just question yourself what that was, or, or even the bank statement. Um, and the monthly subscriptions are things you sign up for, and, and you know you maybe stop using the app, or you have you have twenty licenses, and you know if you're a practitioner and you're you're only using three, but you don't you know you're paying for things you're not using, or if they are a bit surplus to requirements, so they just sit there and tick over, and, and that as I say, you start sticking four or five unused apps on your monthly subscription sheet and and it, it amounts to quite a lot so the advice is when you're looking after cash really manage your costs actively and, and question every bit of spending you need so out of the back of that kind of analysis these these firm you know alistair barlow uh, glenn glenn martin others i've talked to they're pairing their app stacks right back to the, the absolute you know essential minimum and and you know that's the approach advisors are taking to any kind of um, outgoings at the moment. Tom, what's what's your thoughts on this? It's kind of been as as we've been learning today from the Bank of England. It is tough economic, a tough economic outlook out there, mm-hmm. um, and the tools are available, I guess, in order to help guide small businesses through and help create some sort of certainty or at least give them some sort of guidance. 
but are they being used to their full potential? Yeah, it kind of feels a bit like looking at the aftermath of a of a particularly raucous house party, <laughs> you know, where things have been sort of all smashed up. And uh, do you remember that old Yellow Pages advert, you know, where the, the table's got a massive gouge out of it and <laughs> they're cleaning it up? And then, uh, yeah, I don't know how adept, um, I mean, I guess accountants are playing the role of sort of coming in and, and, and applying that filler and, and polishing up the table to make it to make it look good as new um but yeah um to actually answer your question um yeah there are tools out there um i think i think there's a couple of reasons behind it cost is cost is definitely one of them obviously with with any professional service business in in 2022 tech is likely to be one of your biggest costs you know after after staff and the, the subscriptions are expensive as as john mentioned there um tech tech is expensive cloud tools are expensive we're seeing a bit of a backlash against cloud at the moment which is which is quite interesting you know where uh so certainly I've, I've seen more than one opinion piece in, in in tech publications over the last couple of days talking about in general you know people moving back to the racks which is uh you know intriguing in and of itself so all those people commenting on accounting web were right all along <laughs> there they were actually the... <laughs> yeah i guess i mean to give a classic accountant example uh, answer sorry it depends um mm. but yeah I, th- I think um with the the cash the cash flow apps it's quite an interesting one um as, as john said they were kind of mandated almost mandated to use them to get their C-bills or, or, or other loans yeah. in, in 2020. And, um, you know, I think certainly the research that we've done has shown that they are, uh, you know, usage has dropped, but it's 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 sort of back above the sort of pre-pandemic level. So, you know, it's still, it, it is still a fairly nascent area. I, I think from from your article, John, and from conversations I've had, a lot of the problem with these tools is flexibility. Um, they work quite nicely for fairly simple businesses, but the second there's, there's an element of complexity that gets added, it, 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 it just becomes inaccurate, as it were. And, and, and um, you know, maybe there are... Uh, Maybe there are folks from those apps shouting at the, <laughs> kicking the cat and shouting <laughs> people, uh, shouting at their phones um, as as we go now. But uh, that's certainly the feedback that um, that I've got from users, and I, I think then the default, the fallback is our dear friend Excel, which uh, you know remains accounting's favorite tool. Well, who would have thought Excel would be the one that would? Uh see us through the next crisis. Uh, John, it's, the, the thing with Excel is, is for uh, all of its faults, it's still kind of a robust tool. Well, people know it. You know, as Tom said, it's it's infinitely flexible. It can take the complexity. Uh, you, you know, you can you can tweak it, add it, and, and, and add in extra layer, extra dimensions and layers of analysis. Um, it, it, I mean, almost we, we've, we've probably been party to, to Building up the bad press about Excel because because of the, you know, every time when you add those extra layers of complexity to your Excel model, you're you're exponentially increasing your um, likelihood of of in, including a, a, a formula error and, and and making it go sending your own logic awry unless you're very careful. I mean, it is like a ninety percent 
for error error rate uh, has been reported historically. But again, don't diss it too much because um, the really sophisticated users of Excel now is, is you, you link everything up with IMDB or, or, or um, IMDB, it's not ODBC, excuse me. I've <laughs> been watching too many movies. Um, ODBC, you know, you can set Excel up so it is really just a window on your data. And, and particularly if you, you sort of jump to the grown up equivalent of Power BI, which comes with the same sort of Microsoft Office Pro licenses, you have this incredible sort of analytical tool as well where you you, um, you set up the queries and things in the databases. So, so you're not doing as much between cell jumps. You're just outputting the results and maybe displaying them as as dashboards and the like. So, so effectively with either Excel itself or with Power BI, depending on your, your expertise, in those, you, know, you can create your own dashboards that, that are have the same you know once you push the button to refresh the same sort of clarity and, and equivalent level of truth as the commercial apps and and the only question that i would raise on the apps behalf is well actually these people are, are specialists and and dedicate their lives to building the forecasts and the models and the reporting environment are you certain you you know do you have the time and the capabilities yourself to, and is it worth your while to to spend all your time sort of emulating what they do but as I say, at the moment, the majority of accountants have confidence in their own skills that they can do that, and they are doing that. And I guess as a as a middle way, one thing that seems to have emerged is that rather than Excel or a really specialist cash flow app, um, people have almost defaulted to using the one attached to their accounting platform. So that seems to have been another trend that we're seeing come through as well. So I guess accountants are kind of armed with their spreadsheets at the moment. At this point, although uh, things are looking quite tough in the economy, Bank of England said it's going to get tougher. So how much, how tougher do you think it's going to get, Tom? How long do you think this this winter of discontent is going to continue? Well, Richard the Third on us, yeah, <laughs> uh, that ended well. Um, yeah. It, 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 it. I think if uh, if if the sort of mentions of the word unprecedented uh, are anything to go by, then uh, you know things do seem to be sort of spiraling round, and there are these these gloomy predictions of um, a sort of uh, 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 decade long recession that, that we, I mean, certainly as journalists, we get bombarded with hundreds of press releases every day. Um, you know, some of which are more relevant than others, but uh, yeah, I, um, <clears throat> I, I kind of feel in this. I mean, the accounting profession. If if, if you look at where the money is going, um, so you know, we, we've had two press releases today, for example, with private equity firms investing in accountancy. For accountants, um, mm. it's still likely to be uh, steady as she goes, I think. But uh, yeah, the macroeconomic outlook, yeah, certainly not particularly, certainly not rosy. Well, we'll continue this conversation on the economy later in the show when we preview the upcoming autumn statement. But first, the other big story from the past week was the news that Uber has finally resolved its VAT bill and has agreed to pay HMRC £615 million. It's a huge amount, but the sum is a little lower than what some commentators expected. Earlier, we had the chance to speak with Jason Croak. Jason is 
an accountant web contributor and is the VAT director at the accountancy firm Rainer Essex. Jason, of course, being uh, uh, the VAT director there at Rainer Essex, has closely followed the Uber case from its beginnings. So we started the interview by asking Jason what he thought about the £615 million settlement. Well, welcome to the show, Jason. Let's start first off then. Were you surprised to hear about the £615 million settlement? Yes and no. Surprised in that I thought it should be higher, but any amount is always a good amount uh, in terms of the Treasury. (laughs) Well, it's funny you should say that it should be higher because I know Jolyn Warm from the Good Law Project who first started the process in suing Uber to pay VAT. He's already started asking questions about what he said, quote, was a low sum. Um, and I do, looking back through the history of this case, I think HMRC originally sent a VAT assessment of $1.5 billion to Uber. So I don't know, what could have possibly happened, Jason? <laughs> yeah, I mean, <clears throat> HMRC have, I won't say are famous for, but are infamous for doing deals when when they tell normal taxpayers that they don't. I mean, famously, the Vodafone was another big case under Jim Harrah, the uh, the chief HMRC at the time, uh, where there was a substantial amount of sort of you know uh, VAT tax available, um, but a smaller amount was agreed. Um, it was still a large amount, but just wasn't wasn't what it was supposed what what people thought it would be. And and so coming back to this Uber case, yes, uh, the Good Lord Project had calculated this one and a half billion. It was okay. It was a it was kind of a relative i won't say thumb back of the sort of thumbnail sort of calculation but it's based on the number of drivers i think it's 50 000 drivers times an average take per day um divide you know times by four years so that's where the sort of the one and a half million came from um 615 is sort of roughly half so to speak um and then my take on it was 615 million sounds great divide it by four years because that's the four years assessment time limits it's you know locked to four years then he works out about 150 sort of million a year which isn't doesn't seem like a large amount of money 615 over four years is a big amount but individually it's not really so if uber were about you know if uber were charging back correctly at that right time they're only going to be declaring 150 a year it still seems a bit low i think um granted then we also have well actually you know good law project probably didn't factor in input tax because there would be an ability to reclaim that on certain purchases but then even then you're thinking well Uber won't have any input tax costs. Yes, they'll have their head office, but they'll have got that already. Um, their other input taxes would be the cost of the drivers and the fuel and whatever, but that's that's really difficult to unpick. So there's probably no input tax either. And quite clearly, there's no penalties in there either because HMC have probably taken the view that it's not an error, deliberate, which makes sense because it took the Supreme Court to conclude what the actual you know, uh, situation was. And presumably there's some interest in there as well. But again, when you factor all of that, the 615 does feel a little bit low, <laughs> he says. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> well, this has been quite a long and complicated story, to say the least, Jason. And I'm going to give yeah. you the, um, the, the big task of maybe explaining to our listeners just what happened and why is Uber in the situation where they're having to pay £615 million? 
<laughs> sure. Okay. So in the world of VAT, uh, which is a world I sort of live in, um, the, the, the tax tribunals, the tax cases uh, is strewn, strewn with the uh, with the devastation of cases around agent and principal. And it's sort of a key thing in many VAT that sort of legislation in that case is say, am I the agent? So I'm not actually selling anything. I'm just acting as a, a go-between, you know, the middleman. Or am I acting as principal where I, I am actually selling something? Um, because that determines ultimately who pays the VAT and generally it's the principal. So loads of case law on this and, and all sorts of things. And SMEs getting sort of all sorts of trouble with it as well when they don't have proper contracts. But anyway, that's the fundamental basis of this case is agent principle. Uber has always seen itself as an agent. It basically is an app, a service, and it basically connects a people who want a, who want a journey with uh, somebody who's driving a car and operating as a taxi. So Uber sits in between as an agent. They collect the money from the customer, passes it over to the driver. In the same way that eBay, when you buy something off eBay, you don't you don't buy things off eBay. You buy something off somebody else who's listed an item, and you know an eBay act is the in betweener to make sure that you know money's paid over correctly and that the seller sells the right thing and posts it to you. So so that's kind of an, an agent structure. So Uber thought they were an agent. They're an app. Uh, providing a service that didn't then trigger any kind of that liability because it was the driver who was the principal the driver of the taxi was making the the journey for the customer those drivers were inevitably self-employed and under the VAT registration threshold because quite a lot of uber drivers don't do it as a day job they do it as a, as a sideline you know the gig economy kind, kind of thing they might do a couple of hours every night um so so in effect the taxi journeys were VAT free which was great for the customer um, and Uber charged an admin fee to the driver, um, but Uber aren't based in the UK, so the service, you know, places where rules for services meant that there was, you know, no, no sort of no VAT in that transaction. Um, so, so that's that's the background to it. What actually started it was something. It's, it's almost like the Al Capone thing, where they couldn't get him for all the crimes and murders, but they could get him for tax avoidance. So, so here, not not I'm suggesting Uber was avoiding tax, but here the 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 the, the Trojan horse was a. A employment tribunal, an employment case where uh, a collective of Uber drivers um, took Uber to court arguing that they were not self-employed drivers, they were actually employees and therefore entitled to things like holiday and annual leave and, and, sick, and, and sick pay and pensions and all that kind of stuff. Um, and that started off in 2016 and then ground through the courts uh, in various you know, appeal stages and what have you. And that ended up eventually last year in the Supreme Court where it concluded that these drivers are actually employee or employees and they are entitled to holiday and, and, and all that kind of stuff. Um, and I think I think just paraphrasing from 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 the Supreme Court decision, it says that um, having established that the drivers were employees. Um, sorry, it says, yeah, I'm just looking at it, it says if passengers only contractual relationship is with the driver, he or she has never heard of and who is in any event unlikely to be worth claiming against in the case of an event, any claim is likely to be practically worthless. So the, the, so the courts took a view that it's it, 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 not the driver doing the, doing the driving, it's, it's Uber is the, is the one that's the principal. So that case was uh, nothing to do with VAT or tax at all. It was just to do with whether somebody's an employee or not. So that sort of touches on IR35 and the whole big economy thing. As a result of that case, therefore, the drivers were deemed to be employees. If they are therefore employees, then it is Uber that is doing the that's, that's making the sale of the taxi journey, not the self-employed person, because he's not self-employed anymore. Does that make sense? <laughs>
it, it does. It's, it's as you as I said there, Jason. It's quite a complicated case, but yes. Well, there we go. So, so as a result of that case, which has nothing to do with that, it then triggers this. Well, hang on a minute. Therefore, Uber must be making these journeys, so these must be vatable, which they are. That is where the six fifteen comes from. Uh, I mean, I guess controversially, HMRC didn't act in any way to issue like a protective assessment um, at all until the Supreme Court hearing had concluded. So that's why HMRC are limited to the four going back four years. If HMRC had issued a protective assessment, i.e., we think we think this case is going to go, you know, in this direction, um, so it's worth a punt. So if HMRC had done a protective assessment in 2016, then then it didn't matter how long the courts would have taken. HMRC could have gone back and said, well, from 2016, <laughs> you owe us the VAT. So they could have doubled or tripled the VAT, li the, the VAT liability of Uber, although that probably would have caused Uber to close down, I suspect. And then that comes back to the 615, which is sometimes there has to be an element of pragmatism to it. Um, you know, if they if they take 1.5 billion from Uber, could they afford it? Probably, yes. Um, but equally, 615 million pounds in your bank account by the end of October, you know, by the end of uh, October 22, so last week, that's also a nice to have, isn't it? So it's uh, <laughs> depends on which side of the fence you want to sit on in terms of tax collection yeah i guess one thing from my perspective i would guess many sort of vat registered small businesses will be pondering if they can negotiate their vat <laughs> um, down that's i mean I'm, I'm being a bit glib obviously no. but uh, i think it speaks you know yeah I, I don't know it speaks to a wider a sort of level of expertise and knowledge in terms of people making the legislation you know in terms of enforcing enforcing this there's obviously technology disrupting um the traditional models of work as it were you know you, you've mentioned sort of agent and principal there you know we've talked about uber we've talked about ebay um google and apple you know in a, in a, in a sort of similar way but yeah the, the the sort of traditional agent and principal there uber obviously saw a way of uh navigating that and i think that's from a, from from my point of view, as as the tech editor, I love to see good tech. I love to see tech yeah. that's working, and I like to see tech that's doing well on its own, rather than you know just uh, using some kind of loophole or bylaw to actually um, you know cut its fat bill. Yeah, um, I mean, uh, it's, 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 yes, I mean, tech is 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 great, and it it is advancing at a pace. Um, legislation tends not to certainly VAT legislation is very slow because it's a European tax and I know the UK is no longer in the EU but we were certainly during the the, 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 uh, the Uber sort of years uh, and, and so everything just takes a lot longer to catch up. Yeah and I guess we're not really going to get anywhere with this unless we have some way to fix this legislation we fix tax law fix employment law and, and and crucially i guess like align them together you know you've mentioned all the all the doodars over ir35 it's uh you know it's it's quite painful looking back over the, uh, over the last few years we've covered that so yeah yes obviously i don't, I, I don't want to get into the ir35 but it, it, it is it is another example whereby the, the business community moves in a direction 
and the tax legislation doesn't keep up with it, then they try to put something in place retrospectively, which doesn't necessarily work or is fair, or they try and put something in place going forwards, which then then changes the business community. So the business community goes in a different direction. And, and coming back to Uber, having lost the uh, the employment tribunal and all of these people are now employees that they have to pay NI and various other taxes for, Uber have now then done a separate uh, civil action against, I think, Sefton Metropolitan, Metropolitan Borough Council, um, sort of requiring them to apply uh, the same treatment as in these people are an employee um, for other other taxi riding services uh, in you know in the country because I think the I think some of the other some of the problems that Uber had with being able to operate in London with a transport for London TfL over the last few years is in part to do with this are they employees or not type thing so I think Uber now are, are pursuing a line where they want everybody else now to be on the same playing field as them which I find a bit ironic bearing in mind Uber were exploiting their status as an agent uh, to avoid that whereas your traditional black cab in london or your, your local town kind of cab, they may or may not have been that registered so they may have had the same advantage that uber had but i guess uber's got the market share now so it probably had the benefit of uh of, of of not having to pay that for several years to establish yourself so that it has to pay that now well whatever they're the go-to people for taxis aren't they sort of thing so you've kind of got your You've got your market share where you need to be <laughs> is one take on it now jason with the autumn statement fast approaching we can't get you on the podcast without um asking you for your own predictions so what's your thoughts will the chancellor tinker with indirect tax vat what's your hunch well with vat i, I every year every budget i always get excited and think they're going to do something and then every year it's normally very mundane. Um, I, I think in the current climate, raising VAT, you know, standard VAT rates would be a mistake. It'll be inflationary because obviously everything will go up in price. Not everything, you know, foods and stuff will remain VAT free, but, you know, catering, hospitality and all that will all go up in price. So that will just fuel inflation further. Um, so I can't see them increasing VAT rates, but who knows? Um, Jason, I, I was at a, a conference with 2020 yesterday and they're technical chief uh, Sharon Cook she was saying she'd heard rumors that that Sir Rishi Sunak and Jeremy Hunt had been closeted together and and kind of wanted to go back to the 2019 uh, manifesto where the conservatives sort of you know made a pledge to uh, hold income tax so, so not to meddle with that and I think VAT was in there as well that wasn't supposed so, to change yeah and the triple lock's not supposed to change as well isn't it it's the, it's those yeah things. so that's that was her hunch yesterday in, in a talk to the conference yeah. yeah, so I think that's probably not, they're, they're going to leave that alone. Yes, they can do what they like with that. We're no longer uh, sort of linked to the EU. So we could, we could make our reduced rates lower, we could introduce a new sort of super reduced or ultra, ultra standard rate of that. Um, but I, I think the, the, uh, that, that would be too much of a, a shock to, to the economic system, I think. But it might come in a few years' time. Um, I could probably see some more tinkering around sort of the edges, like where they introduced the 08 for energy-saving materials and solar panels. They might, they might you know, either extend that a little bit or play around with it. I can't see them returning to um, the reduced rate for catering and you know, pubs and, and, and eating out and stuff like that. Um, although that sector needs a lot of help. But 
so do a lot of other sectors. <laughs> so I think there's a genuine answer to the question. I don't think they're going to do much with that. Um, it's just too politically. Uh, it, well, last time George Osborne att attempted to make a sausage roll standard rated because, you know, whether it's hot or cold, it's still a sausage roll. Um, there was outrage in the newspapers. And, you know, I, I still recall the headlines where, you know, caviar, which, of course, is a raw food, so therefore would be zero rated. Um, but a sausage roll, uh, which is which is processed food, which is also heated, which is standard rated, it becomes a class divide again. You know, oh, you know, the rich are eating fat free caviar, but the poor are eating vatable sausage rolls. So, yeah, I, I think it's a wise man to not go anywhere near any of those things. And I think the taxes that they'll continue to play with will be SDLT because the property market is always, always in a state of flux, I guess. Um, and, you know, the things with buy-to-let landlords, uh, you know, they're getting squeezed. So there'll be something around SDLT, I suspect, but, uh, but you know, nothing around that, which, which is how it should be really at the moment. <laughs> Excellent. Well, Jason, uh, the next time we'll be speaking to you, uh, really, we'll be at the Counterweb Live Expo in Coventry yes. uh, on the 30th of November and 1st December. And you're going to be... Um, taking charge of a business tax panel there, from what I understand. Yes, it is. It's, it's, it's effectively sort of any answers, um, uh, which which I think is on MTD, which will probably include in MTD ITSA as well as VAT. Um, and so around technology, I guess. But uh, but anything goes, I guess. Uh, you know, anything goes, really. So if anybody wants to throw in extra questions about something else, then that's always... I always rise to that time. Funny you should mention it. I think that would be our hot tip for some, if not autumn statement revelations, either just before or just after. I've, you know, MTD's dominated our lives for was it five plus years now, and and is is the centre of our universe. But it it doesn't really grab the headlines in the way that a, any self-respecting chancellor would like it. So so I don't think it'll be flagged up in in Jeremy Hunt's you know statement to Parliament, but. Probably they, they did it before and they may do it again. Sort of any of those, the, the rumours we've been hearing about adjustments or little changes, you know, increases in the levels of in threshold levels and things to MDD, which, you know, definitely all the jungle drums are, are, are telling us that that something's afoot and there will be need to be some adjustments. Um, so so I think I think Rebecca Cave was suggesting to us at the news media it'll be slightly immediately after the budget, which if the if sorry the, the autumn statement, and if that's on a Thursday, uh, she she's her money's on it on, on a little ministerial statement or a little policy paper coming out on Friday the 18th. No, so I, we'll... I agree, John. They they probably don't have much wriggle room. If they do anything radical like they did before, then that's going to cause upset in the markets. They still need to fill a very large black hole. They can't tax people too much because we've got a cost of living crisis. So, you know, you know, yeah, if by just keeping tax thresholds where they are, then people will naturally creep up into the tax brackets next year and the year after and what have you. So they can they can kind of forecast a guaranteed income into the future today. Leave it as it is. So everyone's fine. Um, so, so, yeah, I think the thresholds will probably just be kept where they are. Um, can't do anything too radical. So again, you know, introducing new VAT rates and what have you, yeah, that's going to upset people, both consumers and, and businesses. Um, yeah, and, and and but you know, and, and if they can just somehow justify some money coming in in the future and six hundred eight, they're six hundred fifty million quid from Uber's quite nice as well. Um, yeah, I, I can't see this being a particularly revelationary budget, to be honest. 
<laughs> well, time will tell. Well, thank you very much, Jason, for your time. And if anyone wants to go see Jason, come along to Account Web Live Expo on the 30th of November and 1st of December. Go to accountwebliveexpo.co.uk to secure your tickets. But yep, thank you, Jason. Thank you very much. Thank you, Richard. Thank you, John. Well, we just heard from Jason there share a few predictions for the autumn statement, but with around two weeks before the fiscal plan, we are starting to get a better idea of what Rishi Sunak and his Chancellor Jeremy Hunt may have planned. Uh, to quote some of the to quote some of the reports come out from the Treasury, it seems like they've got a eye watering some eye watering decisions ahead of them. So it seems as if it's all but confirmed that we can expect spending cuts and tax rises to plug a 50 billion black hole in public finances. So what do we think the Chancellor and the Treasury are planning to do this? John, have you got any ideas, that any rumours or whispers you've heard? Again, uh, Sharon Cook is my... my, my uh, f- 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 I was a very useful technical briefing, but she was dropping lots of you know, her, her suggestions. Um, she noted that the, the, the 1.25% increase in dividend tax rates... Um, had been retained when when the um, sort of the national insurance increase was parked. So her her hot bet was it may not happen. Uh, yeah, it would be it would, probably wouldn't happen this in within year. But perhaps when we get to April, um, she thinks the the national insurance um, uh, sort of stay is is probably temporary and, and might so so that that would be a a tip for just to pull in some cash. Um, otherwise, otherwise, again, tax is always a little bit beyond my remit. So I'm, I'm not, I'm not the, <laughs> I'm not the, the, you know, apart from my my MTD, it might get adjusted a little bit. Rumor, uh, or which which is becoming, it's it's that's becoming one of those deafening, deafening clarion calls. But apart from that, I, I don't have a lot to offer on this front. Uh, Tom, M- MTD wise, it does seem like that may that may make an appearance. I guess at the autumn statement. Yes, I think as I mentioned in a previous pod, uh, there's only so long that a, a 1.2 billion pound project can hide in the undergrowth. However much chaos is going on in Whitehall, so yeah, that'll be interesting to see what action is taken there. If anything, there were rumours about a statement before the budget. There were rumours about a statement day after. So. You know, who knows what is actually uh, afoot there. I mean, certainly um, I'm getting mixed messages from my contacts in the software community um, who obviously have regular dealings with HMRC on this. You know, a few of them are fairly gung-ho about it all. Just like, ah, it's fine. It's it's all going ahead. Again, I'm, I'm hearing rumors of, of the tweaks that John mentioned too, whether it's thresholds. I know the OTS have just called for threshold to rise from 10,000 to 20,000 in terms of income tax self-assessment um and then um yeah as I say one of my one of my contacts just uh simply emailed me just to say it's all completely broken so <laughs> <laughs> that's very much the tenor of what I'm hearing as well Tom and, and it's not just from the software people I think the professional bodies um, are voicing you know it, it's it's when the software people it's it's when the the voices around the table start speaking in unionism to HMRC the you know the department starts listening and I think the department may have to be you know uh, or, or the managers at the very top need to sort of acknowledge the reality down in the departments and on the ground that there's just 
lots of of all the niggly edge cases and processes, you know, the, 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 the OTS paper on property ownership, you know, what do you do about jointly owned properties? You know, how do you assign the income there? Th- this stuff is just completely undefined. There's no guidance. Um, you know, there's, there's so, so with no guidance, no process apparently existing this stuff, how are you going to be able to test it in year, you know, good year ahead of things, you know, under the Carter principle. So, you know, there's just, there's just, the chaos you mentioned isn't just in Whitehall policy making. Um, the, you know the, the 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 threatened staff cuts we've we heard previously. You know that it, it, people have been moved away from the HMRC project from the MTD projects. You know this is a program that's that's not in good shape. I mean I think some some better people. You know they have bolstered and put the skills in there, but but the the everything that's been going on in Whitehall. I think you know the, the civil service does seem to quite often default to um inertia when you know that we, we we had that period at the early period of hmrc when there were so many elections we just had non-stop perda uh now we, we just do see you know that the project has has got into the mud stuck in the mud a bit and and something needs to be done to sort of you know let's be agile and get some portions of it moving at least rather than trying to get the whole lorry out in one go, out of the ditch in one go. I think, I mean, the MTD project is, is really symptomatic of of a wider lack of joined up thinking. I mean, this, this stuff is difficult. It's really difficult trying to legislate for things in, a, in an economy that's shifting from my beat, the technology beat, stuff is changing. We're talking about Uber, you know, who've been disrupting their portion of the economy. Um, as it were, with effects, profound effects for the Treasury, um, as it were. And and as I say, we, we, we've kind of, um, I'm not really talking about the UK, but, you know, globally, people seem to have um, slipped into sort of fall, falling for sort of three words, slogans and dogma and, and voting in politicians who aren't across the details or, or, or not particularly interested in being across, across the details. Um, and I mean, particularly with the mini budget, we saw, you know, one of the top civil servants being removed and, um, you know, who possibly would have advised against um, a lot of the stuff that they were putting out. And we saw what happened. So I, I, I do think that this, this um, you know, despite possibly being one grade up from a mini budget, the, this this fiscal statement that's coming is likely to be uh, <laughs> a fairly steady as she goes affair. Uh, and it's not just um, MTD that we're hearing rumours. Of course, it does seem like the uh, the government may be extending the existing existing windfall tax on oil companies to include electricity generators. Which, looking at reports from uh, the Sunday Times, it says that this would raise the that would be raising the rate from twenty five percent to thirty percent. Extend the tax from 2025 to until 2028. And another rumor that we've seen um, on the table is the freeze in income tax personal allowance by two years until 2027 to 28, um, which again, the Sunday Times says will drag millions into the 40p rate of tax, but would also raise well over 10 billion. So a couple of already uh, a couple of measures on the table there um if the chancellor's looking for ideas i guess he could do no better than look on the Kenton web where we've come up with a few fantasy budgets rebecca cave 
our consultant tax editors come up with a wonderful uh, fantasy budget where among her ideas, she's pointed out the deadweight cost to employers of NIC. And if she was to be the chancellor, she would ask to reinstate the Office of Tax Simplification and get them to examine how all classes of NIC can be merged with income tax payable by individuals. So quite a... uh, uh, revolutionary idea there from Rebecca, both to get the uh, to have a look at NIC and also uh, to bring back the OTS. And I guess the OTS could very well be revived at the autumn statement. And Rebecca also made a point; she would also get HMRC to move forward with MTD with the MTD project, as we've been discussing. But with the requirement to report income and expenses quarterly will be first imposed on those businesses most able to bear the additional costs, is what Rebecca said. Indeed, that seems, uh, it, it seems sensible, but uh, yeah, but <laughs> there's no uh, <laughs> the sensible and, uh, you know, the stuff that's done uh, doesn't don't seem to be connected a lot of the time. Um, and we've also had a fancy budget from Richard Murphy, and, um, and well worth reading Richard Lists a number of things I could just pick out a few, um, including introducing a top rate of income tax at 50% of earnings over 150000 introducing VAT on private education, charging capital gains tax as if it is the top part of a person's income. He goes on with various other ones there. So some radical ideas there from Richard as well. So we will find out on the 17th of November, what the Chancellor has up his sleeve and whether he's taken on board any of the policies put forward by our accounting web contributors. But I think that's all we've got time for today on the programme, except to say a big thank you to our guest, Jason Croke, and to all of you at home for listening. If you are a fan of No Account for Taste, you can watch a live recording of this show at Accounting Web Live Expo. Go to accountwebliveexpo.co.uk and secure your free ticket. And we look forward to seeing you in the audience in Coventry on the 30th November to the 1st of December. And of course, join us as ever on accountweb.co.uk for all your news from the world of accountancy. And we'll be back with No Account for Taste for a special post-autumn statement show. But until then, bye for now.